Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are you? Um, I'm currently in Girona, but I wish I was in Andorra or able to move from one to the other freely. Um, Unfortunately, I am not allowed to. And you are? I am Rowan Dennis, and I ride for Ineos uh, Pro Cycling Team. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rowan, it's really great to catch up with you again. Now, we first met a few years ago, and it was at the uh, Tour of Britain, uh, and you were racing it, and I think you were at BMC at the time. Yeah, And sure you were was. having, like, you had a bit of a ding-dong during that stage race with Tom de Moulin, and it was a really, really good race that year. Oh, that would have been, it was a hilltop finish, actually, and well, Poles won, I reckon. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, I just, I actually... I sort of threw caution to the wind a little bit and just went, I don't care. I'm just going to have a crack. Um, and I went probably a bit early, but I knew what I could hold for that sort of time period. The problem was it was a headwind. So people got a bit of a sit, but I was just on a, on a, a purple patch for, for a couple of weeks and I could do whatever I really wanted to for a five, 10 minute effort really. And just took it to them. I mean, totally, you've got a much better memory than I have. Obviously, an eye for detail that I don't have that's going to come from being uh, the world champion time trialist. We'll get on to that, but I do want to go back to Oz and where it all began and where you grew up because I've spoken to a couple of Aussies on Home Road. Simon Gerrans has been a guest. uh, And I imagine his experience is not dissimilar to yours in having to leave home at quite an early age, move halfway across the world to a country perhaps where you don't speak the lingo. Was that a similar experience for you when you became a pro? Uh, well, I actually, I had it a lot easier than him. I'll, I'll just straight up put it like that. Um, but it was it was an early age. I uh, My earliest time, I, well, the first time I left Australia was the first year under 19s uh, for about six weeks. Um, so that was 2007 and I did a month in Italy, then two weeks in Mexico for the Junior Worlds. That was a rude shock to the system. And then uh, the next year I was more, I was on the track team. So I wasn't doing the road program in Italy with the Australian team. Um, Then I pretty well, I moved to Italy. So Varese um, in 2009 and I did about four months, five months there um, that year. 
Oh, it was uh, not easy, to be honest. It was a lot easier than what, like I said, that what um, Gero had because we had a house all set up. We didn't have to pay rent. We didn't have to pay bills. We um, It was all organised, our training we had. It was an Australian base in just outside of Varese. So it was, in hindsight, it was super easy but it was just something we weren't used to, which was really not being at home. We had to cook for ourselves. Uh, and it was up to us if we really trained. Um, if we didn't train, well, you weren't on the team the next year. So there's a whole lot more pressure that we weren't really used to. And obviously we wanted to train, but when you have those extra stresses, you, some people just generally crack and, Obviously, a lot do. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't really talk about how hard it actually is for non-Europeans, since not just us, it's Americans, New Zealanders. Um, uh, GB guys get it a bit easier just because it is so close to home. They can just fly home uh, to our flight usually to um, see their parents or just to touch base. But uh, it's a 24-hour generally a 24-hour trip and not super cheap for us to go home when we're not really making a whole lot. And it's a very long way. And what was your upbringing like? And how did you first get into cycling and realising it was a sport that you would excel at? Uh, Well, first of all, I I thought cyclists were a joke for wearing lycra. Um, (laughs) But I was was the bigger joke. I was swimming in Speedos uh, in my little budgie smugglers. So I saw men in Lycra as a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I got picked up in a, a program called a Talent Identification in um, through the, the Sports Institute in my state in South Australia. So uh, they identified me through just pretty basic fitness testing at our school, uh, in high school at the age of 14. And they said, look, you could be world-class, um, world-class cyclist. And I was like, yeah, good joke. Um, that's, they're just trying to sell it to me. And actually I was one of the lowest ranked athletes that they picked up or through the testing and I only just scraped in. Um, and I just thought I'd use it for cross training for my swimming. And after about three, four months, I, I'd been to nationals. I got ninth in the, individual time trial as a first year under 17 uh, but I was actually the first um, first year 17 in the results and in theory uh, technically I was national champion after such a short period and I realized that it's actually a lot more fun than swimming it's a sport that you can you can do um, no matter what body shape you are there's no real specific body shape and no one's got the advantage over you if, obviously, if you're a sprinter, you can't climb like a, <laughs> like some of these little Colombians. But um, you, there's a position in the sport for every body shape, and it really comes down to whoever works the hardest. And what about the time trialing? I mean, were you bitten by the bug early on? And what was it that appealed to you about that sort of race against the clock? I think it's, I think it really comes from my swimming. So... Obviously, swimming is, it is time trials. And I swam from the age of four until 15. And it's just something I've always 
done. It's something that I, I've always learned how to push myself without anybody else around me. Um, I don't need a wheel in front of me to go push myself to another limit. Uh, I'm able to find that while I'm by myself. So I found that quite, I wouldn't say easy, but natural uh, for me to go into that and excel in quite quite early on in, in my cycling. And, and it just sort of snowballed from there. I got results mainly in um, time trial or timed events and I let the road sort of and bunch race sort of things uh, sort of tail just behind and I still worked on them but it was just a more natural fit for me. And let's bring it right back up to the present then. I mean, we'll fill in the gaps between uh, teams and the actual road racing, but let's bring it right up to date because you are the reigning men's time trial world champion, two years on the trot. And I'd imagine all being well and lockdown being over by then that you want to go for the hat trick later in the year. I want to go for four in a row, to be honest with you. (laughs) And that happens, doesn't it? I mean, that happens with the champions. When it comes to world champions like Tony Mar, or Fabian Cancellara, they have long reigns. It seems to be that you can get in some sort of a sweet spot and you can you can beat all comers for quite a while as a time trialist. I think it's still going to be tough, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the, the reason why I want to get four is no one, 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 no one's ever done that before in a row. Cancellara and Tony have both done it from memory. Uh, Michael Rogers has won three in a row, uh, but also I'd like to win the Olympics and Worlds in one year, which has never been done from what I've been told as a male, um, has never been done um, before. So so hopefully it's in a, like a, a big two years. Um, hopefully all going sort of things getting better and better. Hopefully we can actually, I can have a crack at retaining my title Um at the end of this year and that's that's really the only goal I've got for for the year now um, with Olympics being postponed for 12 months um, which is probably actually not a bad thing for me coming into Ineos and only having six months to really get used to everything um, it may be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's actually fortunate because I'm sitting here on the kicker. I can just pick up the iPhone and look at the Wikipedia and tell you the exact stats. And you're right that Cancellara and Martin have both won it four times each. But Cancellara did it two years on the trot, 2006 and 2007, then the same in 2009 and 10. While Martin did it in 11, 12, 13, and then again in 2016. So you're right to try to get four in a row. No one else has done it. So how do you maintain your focus on that? Ah, uh, you're really picking pick and choose when you when you you're on uh, on the ball and when you really want to just sort of um, sort of target something else. So, what I generally do is always have that in the background. As obviously time trolling is my thing, I always work on it. It always supplements my my road racing, but I'm not all in on time trials all year round. So, uh, there's periods of the year where I'll go, okay with my coach I'll be like, okay you know what we would love to win this time trial in this tour but let's try and get a result as a whole tour um and that just sort of breaks it up a little bit instead of just going okay i don't care about anything i just want to win time trials and that when you get down that road <clears throat> it really i think it you become so focused on one thing you just you burn out and yeah 
Uh, and at the time of recording, Rowan, I know you're turning 30 at the end of next month. You're getting into that proper peak time as a cyclist. I'd imagine that you know your body really well by now. You know how to push your limits. You know how to rest and recover. Is that true? It's come with age, um, and I feel like I'm 40. Just want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, why do you feel older? Just what more tired? Or? Oh, my body. I think the problem is that most of the time, I, one thing I've said to a Swanier before um, was I don't actually, I'm not any better than anybody else. I just know how to destroy myself. And he sort of looked at me and laughed. And then, or I didn't really laugh. He just looked at me like, yeah, good joke. And then the next day was a time trial and I did the time trial and I won. And then I got on the table that night and he was, it was the first time he'd worked with me and he's like, holy shit. (laughs) I I told you, like I just turned myself inside out. So I think obviously I'm going to really know what it feels like to be 40 when I'm 40, but um, (laughs) I sometimes I wake up and my, Oh my God, my back. Um, <laughs> and I'll just roll over. I'm like, I've got to crack my back. I've got to release it. And it just feel, it just takes me a couple of minutes to get used to being in the upright position for, for, for the time being. But, um, my knees haven't gone out on me yet. I know that comes at about 50, I was told. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, there's going to come a point where I'm going to, yeah, maybe my body just needs a rest. Um, yeah, you're scaring me a bit now. I'm 43, so I really don't need to hear this stuff uh, at this point in my life. I'm trying to push a massive 100 watts on my kicker right now. So let's put that chat <laughs> yeah, about but- aging to one side as you're still technically in your 20s for a few weeks yet. Yeah, technically. So what is it mentally that means that you're able to go so deep and just push yourself so much further? Uh, Years. Um, So it's really, I was talking about it to someone um, yesterday. I was saying, look, it's it's taken years and years to figure out what works best for me. And and it's about really for me, um, when I'm in a time trial, not looking at the big picture as in, the fun, like the, the finish line. Um, there's points in the race where you really know what you can do for certain, like certain lengths of time and also know what's coming up after. So it's about being able to think clearly at threshold, above your threshold, into your absolute maximums where you're in the red zone and still think clearly and not lose your head. Um, it, it does come with practice some people pick it up a lot quicker than others um it's take it took me um two and a half years to get my first pro win in time trials uh and it's it was killing me to be honest with you i was losing by 0.1 to 10 seconds um every single time to different people and all these people were obviously older or or more experienced and i just couldn't figure out why and then it eventually clicked and it was on the biggest stage and that's when I got that that also the confidence uh to be able to obviously back myself as well I said I'll just get second I'll get second um so really it's just time at pushing your limits and being able to cognitively still keep a clear mind and when you say the biggest stage, you're referring to the 2015 Tour de France and just a massive, massive win. Yep. That was, 
I was sitting there all day going, I know I'm going to get second, but to who? That's all I was thinking. Who's going to beat me today? Were you not thinking of yellow at all? I was, but I'd gotten ahead of myself way too many times before that. And I just, it, I honestly, I was beaten by 0.1. I think it was 0.14 once to Cuiado in, uh, in Paris-Nice Prologue in 2014. No, 15 it was. And it, uh, it was heartbreaking. Um, but it... Every single time trial, I'd gotten second, or not every, it was 10, um, 10 second places in two and a half years. Not a sort well, everyone's flying here. There's no one that it's not an easy win. It's not like some Conti race or Pro Conti 2.2 sort of thing. Um, this is the world stage. This is basically, this is the big, big picture. Like, like no, no one gets a Tour de France stage just handed to them, especially a time trial. So that's basically all I was thinking all day. Who's going to beat me? Yeah, I've got a theory on this, actually, because early in that year, in 2015, in February, you broke the hour record. And to be able to even attempt it is no mean feat. You've got to be a great time trialist, but also a decent track rider to hold the line. Now, I've spoken to Bradley Wiggins about this a lot. He's a good friend of mine. And it's something you just said yourself. It's about breaking it down into manageable parts. He broke it into 12-minute elements. The first was a breeze. The last 12 minutes you don't even think about until you get there. So he just used to concentrate on the middle 36 minute block so do you think having got the hour record earlier in 2015 yep. that that was what helped you to go even harder and to get into the yellow jersey yeah i think it it also brings it like like i said before a new a new barrier was broken for me i uh i hadn't done an hour on a track ever also at that power uh I averaged 414 watts um, for that. I was super unaero. <laughs> like, honestly, there was so much to gain there um, when it came to aerodynamics. But uh, just that pure sort of on the pedals for one hour, there's no no letting off, nothing. And it sort of – it it builds that mental stability to, to be able to push yourself a little bit harder when it's obviously a lot shorter. There's there's one or maybe two time trials in a whole year that go over an hour and and every time trial other than that is around 10 to 30 minutes. So it all of a sudden doesn't seem like such a big burden to put yourself under that stress for, for such a short period in in relation to obviously one hour i just want to dig into the mindset a little bit more because those of us who are mere mortals can't really comprehend it i mean has having the mental strength to even attempt that helped you then cope with some of the downsides of bike racing because i know the last couple of years have involved a little bit more turmoil for you honestly ah i'm just i'm just gonna say it uh from the day i left the tour de france until about a week and a half before Worlds in Yorkshire last year were up there with the worst about eight weeks of my entire life. And not just that eight weeks, there were probably the worst high peaks of my life. As in like, I shouldn't say high, um, the worst lows of my life were in that eight weeks. And it was, it was struggle. Like I was struggling more than, 
I let on during that period. Um, and, and I was actually lucky. I had some pretty good people around me, even to the point where my, my sports psychologist, um, uh, Dr. David Spindler was living with me leading into worlds to make sure basically if he saw that I was in the point of really, really breaking, he was pulling the pin for me. Um, and it got, it did get close. So there were, I think yes and no, it, it all depends. Obviously, um, everybody does have a different threshold depending on what's, what's going on in their life at that period in time. And, and, and how much they buy into it and how much they listen to other things, which is the big downfall I had was I, I read everything. Um, so uh, it was good and bad, but I read everything and I, I let it consume me to the point where it really did affect me on and off the bike. So uh, some people may say, oh, you're, you're an idiot or uh, you're, you're playing on it. Um, and and maybe four years ago, um, when I didn't care what other people thought, I didn't have as much pressure on me as a as a person. I didn't have a family. I would have gone, yeah, whatever. I don't give a I don't give a rat's ass what you think. Um, but at some points in life, you do actually do you do actually care a little bit, and um, uh, it's sort of being being an athlete maybe i could handle it a little bit more because i've been under pressure but uh i think it all depends on on your current situation at that point in time no matter who you are yeah and imagine you saw at that point that everyone was coming out with all sorts of theories about it It was obviously a shock to the sport that you walked away but as a fan of you and, and a fan of racing it was obvious there must have been more of a reason for it. I mean, to be any good at time trialing, you have to be an absolute stickler for details. So was it the details of the setup that was bothering you, or was it something else? Uh, there was there was a whole whole range of things. You yes, there were a lot of details that were overlooked. Um, there were there were things that were promised that never never eventuated, um, but. They were the small things, to be honest with you. The the little detailed things were the real small things. Uh, there were there were things going on behind the scenes for for months that that just eventually just that one little drop of water just made the it just started spilling over the top of out of the top of the glass. So um, I'd had a pretty a pretty frank conversation with um, my wife, not not too long before the tour and um, it wasn't a good one for me to hear. Um, to be honest, it, it made me really think about the person I was becoming and that one little drop uh, that tipped me over the edge. I could see myself basically going down a road that I knew if I didn't pull the anchors off, uh, basically pulled a handbrake, um, and just go, nah, I'm not going down this road and just change route. It was going to end badly, not just maybe not in the next week or two at that point, but I couldn't turn back from it. So I was like, it's not worth it. Bike riding isn't the be all and end all of, of living in, and there's a lot more to life than this. 
and I want to be happy. I don't want to be a miserable person, really, let's be honest, potentially living by myself. Um, another statistic of a, a professional athlete who's gone through a divorce with a, a, <laughs> a kid that's less than a year old. Um, I thought there's more to life than that and I'm not going down that road, stuff this, I'm out and I just pulled into the feeder. Hearing you say that now, I just think that it's just so ballsy. It's something a lot of people can relate to, just plugging away at jobs they don't like, especially at this time, you know, when jobs are going to be harder to come by for so many people. To be able to make that big decision and say, I'm not happy, I need to do things differently, and the consequences of that point meant you must have been thinking this could be disastrous because you didn't have a team you could jump straight into. You didn't know how you'd be racing at the Worlds. And on top of that, you had the British weather to contend with when you did finally get to Yorkshire. Yeah, well, I'm going to touch on the first thing you said there was that people can relate to it. That is true. But a lot of people envied me and they they hated me for it because I'm obviously in a position of I'd been paid more than the average Joe. I I. I was, I had money that was behind me, so I could make that decision. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to, obviously, that takes me to a point where I can make that decision that a lot of other people can't without making big life changes around the way they, they live or maybe they, they have a mortgage that they have, to, they have to stay in their job so they can't just make that decision, no, I'm just going to change right now. Um, so that's what brought me unstuck with the general public um, with how they actually took that, um, which was in a way a shame because it could have been looked at as a very positive thing that I looked out for what what was best for me and, and my family, um, but it wasn't. And then obviously the doubt, coming to, back to the, the end part of that question, is the doubt of I haven't raced since the the 12th stage of the Tour de France. Like, I've never done this before. I'm just training. What are the other guys doing? Am I fit enough? And that that was going through my head for until until the 15th of September. And I say that I know that, that date very, very specifically because I was fired on the 13th at night. Um and I, I cracked out on the road the next day and then I had a uh, broken down basically test time trial on the Sunday and it, I absolutely smashed it. I actually went from always thinking negatively to not having a single negative thought in my head um, that whole ride and pretty well the whole day. So it, it gave me a lot of confidence. I, I knew that if... All things went well on the day. Um, obviously, no crashes, no punctures, no mechanical things. From that day onwards, I knew that I'll be on the podium at worst. I still want to win. I don't know what anyone else is going to do, but I've done the work. I'm, I'm ready to actually go, and I'm like, I'm surprised, one, because usually you need some racing to get up to that sort of fitness, um, and we nailed it. I mean, nailed it is an understatement, Rowan. You absolutely smashed it out of the park. I think one of the things that defines that is you caught Primoz Roglic 
who was what, like three minutes ahead of you when he started? Yeah, it was three minutes. <laughs> so you caught your three-minute man, and there's a 20% climb when he's out of the saddle going up it, but you're still sat down, still tucked in an aero position, and you go past him. And although he tried to cross the line with you right at the end, uh, are you aware of your surroundings at that point, or were you just so focused on the effort that you're not thinking about anyone around you? I It's, it's a funny feeling, actually. It was like... I was comfortable with hurting that day, uh, to to put it very simply. I it didn't matter to me how much pain I was in. I was for some reason enjoying it, um, which is a very sick way of thinking about it. But it's it's sort of it's what it was. I was I was enjoying what I was doing, and every little corner I knew, I knew what I had to do. I knew the target. I knew I knew what I could do, and and it sort of snowballed as I was going. The confidence of I'm nailing this. How good is this? This is this is amazing. I, I'm 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 having one of these days where everything is just flowing. Um, I I'm going to give Roglic a little bit of a, a leg up here uh, with that climb, and that's that. Really, he just didn't take that bottom corner before very well, and I just carried a lot more speed through it, so I could actually. I didn't feel like I was bogged down and I, I was probably going 5, 10k an hour faster than him after the corner, which helped me be able to stay in that position and be able to power up. But uh, yeah, that that was a lot of people did say that was sort of the point where everyone was like, wow, um, that was the main thing that a lot of people made a comment about after that time trial was that exact climb. I mean, the weather was pretty ropey, but it wasn't the worst it had been for others in Yorkshire that week. So when you did cross the line, it must have (laughs) felt like the ultimate relief and justification for your actions. Yeah, it was... uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I knew I'd won it. 16K in. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, not to be uh, act like a smartass, uh, I knew how deep I'd gone at that stage and I felt very comfortable. I knew... 
Um, I was up by about 20 seconds. I didn't know on who. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, well, I've still got plenty to give and we haven't even hit the climbs yet. So unless obviously something goes wrong, I've won today. So it was almost, um, it was a relief from that point onwards. Uh, and with Roglic in the picture, it actually, I actually found it sort of funny. Um, and and to be honest, I, I, I'm going to give him a bit of, <laughs> a bit of a sort of um, a leg up again is there's there's some points where uh, the winner will obviously win by a lot and top 10 will still be within three minutes and or around the three minutes and that gets you that automatic selection for for Olympics. So I don't blame him for doing what he did. Um, he he may or may not have known and he was probably just like, I've got to make sure I get to that finish line. I might still be in with the chance and and obviously tried there as well to not not let me go so i didn't i didn't take it personally i thought it was i didn't actually know he was so close to me on the finish line and he crashed in by accident (laughs) (laughs) yeah well let's be fair to him still an amazing racer he still won a grand tour last year uh, at the vuelta Uh, but from that point onwards then uh it does seem to be a prime example of the end justifying the means did a weight lift off your shoulders as a result of the win uh, that's that's a very nice way of putting it. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, uh, it was it was quite an emotional point, um, especially with my family right on the finish line, which I didn't know. I knew they were in Yorkshire. I'd seen them pretty well every day, but I didn't know they were right on the finish line. So um, that's also probably the, one of the big things that everyone sort of honed in on after the that time trial was um, the reaction that my wife and I had between our, ourselves. And um, it was, it was one of those points where it was like, it'll be memorable for the rest of my life as long as I don't lose my mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge relief would be an understatement. Um, it was just great to actually be able to share it with them at the same time it was uh it was one of those moments i'll always remember so you then get to join the biggest team in cycling team ineos although i know you haven't done an awful lot of racing for them yet given the current circumstances but what's it been like joining their ranks of megastars it's been exactly what i thought it would be which is very professional very organized um not to the clinical side of thing that everyone thinks that they're just robots, which is the complete opposite. <laughs> I actually, it's the most relaxed team I've ever been in, weirdly enough. Um, and I think it's because of the culture from the top down. Uh, it's a team that tries not to put any stress on the riders at all, that like at all. So they really try to just leave us to ride guys, you go train, you make sure you're fit. Um, we believe in you. Let us deal with all the bureaucratic um, pol- uh, politics of the sport. Um, we'll make sure your bikes and everything are absolutely top-notch at the big races when you really need to be going well. And the rest of the time, look, we would love you to be at good form all year. But it's not the end of the world if you don't win Tour of Algarve. 
<laughs> sort of thing. They would have loved us to win that race. That was one of the goals to go there and try and like at least podium. But there was no no angry or like disappointed email or messages coming through saying, why didn't you perform afterwards? It was sort of like, cool. Is everything on track? Yep. Sweet. Let's move on to the next race. It's just, it's, it's a professional team that's run exactly like a business should really. And it's, it's a huge breath of fresh air. And last week, you all did race each other as a team online on Zwift in the virtual world. Uh, and you won beating young Irishman Eddie Dunbar. So how did you find it? It was better than I thought it would be. Um, I also like virtual racing because I can win a lot easier than normal racing. Um, <laughs> there is there is no way in hell I would be able to put 56 plus seconds into guys like Froome, G, Bernal, Dunbar up in, in reality outdoors. Um, there is no way that would happen. So um, I was more than happy to uh, well, join in a couple more races. Uh, obviously, I'd rather ride on the road, but uh, branch out for a little bit and have some fun and they won't be real results, but if I don't get to race on the road all year, at least I've got a win. <laughs> um, uh, that'll be, I'll go, nah, I want to race this year, guys. So come on, like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta give it to me. I'd still want to race. Uh, but it was good fun. I don't think everyone, ever, like 90% of us took it seriously and really had a good crack. So it gave me, gave me a bit of confidence that like, obviously the numbers are really the big thing. Well, that's the question, isn't it? But I'd imagine it was fun and there's bragging rights for the team and everything else. But a lot of the cycling press latched onto it because, well, mainly because there's not much to write about at the moment, but also because of your big numbers. I mean, what was the average? It was like 400 watts or something for the whole race. Uh, no, the average for the whole race, but obviously we we did that flat rolling part before was 373 from memory. Um, up the climb, uh I actually, I obviously had my Garmin as well, but it was cutting in and out a little bit. So my average was was not exactly accurate, but um, there was, I can comfortably say that it was somewhere between the 6 and 6.3 watts per kilo, um, just because that's what I was sitting on, on, on Zwift. I was like, I know that they can't go seven for five minutes and then sit on six. They can't bring this back. I don't give a shit. I've won this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I'm, I'm looking at my element right now. My three-second average is hovering around the 40 watts mark. Uh, I'm literally <laughs> just spinning out the legs. Heart rate's in uh, the 80s. So very steady for a man of my advanced years. Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect fat-burning zone for me. So, yep. um, so how are you finding life at this very strange time, row, and in particular training? Because I know you're normally in Andorra, but you're back down in Girona right now. So why is that? Uh, yeah, so my dog, unfortunately, <clears throat> he needed uh, surgery on his um, uh, Achilles. So he, he tore his Achilles back in December, early December last year. Yeah, it sounds like a, an athletic injury for a pet dog. Yeah, he, he went a bit stupid one day, we believe, and he just sort of went so stupid he tore his Achilles. Um, his surgeon is in Drona. So 
we have to stay here until he's fully healed and, and recovered and then we can go up. So that could be another another six weeks from now sort of thing, which is a shame. Yeah, because at the time of talking in Spain, the peak seems to have happened in terms of coronavirus cases, but it is going to take a long time to come out of the lockdown. So how are you finding it personally and how are you maintaining your fitness? Um, I dropped fitness, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) The first two, three weeks, I really struggled. Um, It was one of those things where obviously it's a complete different lifestyle change uh you're not allowed outside at all unless it's a supermarket pharmacy or a hospital and and that's just it you like you can walk your dog but obviously my dog's not able to be walked at the moment so that sort of throws that out the window um so the first two three weeks was a rude shock i i struggled there was i posted a video on instagram and i was like i've just cracked um and the, the funny thing is I've sort of, it's just become more of a norm now. Uh, weirdly, it's like, oh, I wake up and I've got my routine and it's become the norm, which I I got out of the house yesterday. We got some um, diesel because obviously that's what heats our house. We got a diesel tank underneath the house and no phone reception. So the FPOS machine wasn't working and I got to drive to the top of my street, which was liberating. Um <laughs> It was weird. I was like, this is cool. I got to get out of the house. Um but really I'm I'm not doing big K's on the on the trainer. I'm doing I'm doing maximum ten hours a week. Uh two days on, one day off. Uh and the one day off is really just doing core or if I want to ride. If I don't want to ride, then I just don't ride, sort of thing. And I'm just doing maintenance work because they're not going to make us race a week after lockdowns like sort of ends they'll they'll give us well at the moment we've got about four months until the next race or the tour de france if it happens right so that we should be allowed out in the road within the next two months i I dare say i'd hope um and that gives us, well, gives me enough time. I, I won't be doing the Tour de France if it overlaps with Worlds anyway. So, it gives me enough time to get out on the road, get some base, and and really start to ramp up the fitness. So, just maintenance work at the moment. Keep fitness, not not full fitness, but just enough so I can I can jump from there and not have to build from really an off season, if that makes sense. Final question, given that this is a podcast called Home Roads and ordinarily we'd be riding together probably around Andorra if I could sit on your wheel for five minutes. <laughs> but where is your favourite ride anywhere in the world, either <clears throat> racing, training or just getting out on the bike? Uh, look, I, I've got two places. Um, one is Andorra. Like Honestly, it is, it's amazing to train there. It's not amazing when it's snowing. <laughs> so... It, it's not an all-year-round sort of place, uh, but that's one of the places. Another place is, is where I grew up, is Adelaide. Uh, there's there's a climb called Greenhill Road. I've got a one-hour, one-and-a-half-hour sort of loop, depending on if I do a little bit of an extra loop. And you go up Greenhill Road, you go along the top of the, the hills, or they're not mountains, I'll tell you right. They get to about six 700 metres altitude, which is not high compared to Europe at all. Um, and you sort of, you roll along the top of the, the hills and then you drop down into town and, and go home. And it's it's 
a really nice ride. It's it's not too busy. Uh, obviously, certain times of day, yeah, it is. But um, you pick the right time of day, and it's it's a great ride. And it's when I retire, I won't be going hard. I promise you that it'll be it'll be much more enjoyable than doing efforts up Greenhill Road, uh, which is about twenty minute effort. So, yeah, it, two places I love to ride a that little loop and Andorra is not big enough to pick one exact road. It's, it's, if anyone's been there, you could do six hours, but, um, or seven, but, uh, there's two valleys and there's a lot of climbing. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I tell you what, when the lockdown is over or maybe when the, the career has come to an end and you're a bit older and slower, hopefully, uh, let's get that ride in, in Adelaide. But for now, Rowan, thanks so much. No, thank you very much for that, mate. I really appreciate the chat. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.